Bryce for that and you know that is a testament to youth ministry. Bryce came to our church as a teenager and got saved, baptized, uh, met the love of her life, got married and her and Mark are now serving in the church. What a blessing it is to see uh, that and that's why we do what we do because the gospel changes lives. If you have your Bible let's go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 35 we're going to take a look at a man named Jacob today. We are Focusing on drawing near to God and uh, some of these biographies that we're doing in this uh, period is on people who draw near to God again. It's not their first approach to God. It is that they've come near to God and gotten away and now they are uh, coming back to him and that is the story of Jacob. We're going to read Genesis chapter 35 verses 1 through 15 so that we can get the context of the passage and understand what's going on. We are diving into the life of Jacob as as an older man. He has children who are grown or nearly grown and, and this is his story of drawing near to God again. It says in Genesis 35, 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and they did not pursue After the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people which were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Pandan Aram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abram and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Let's pray. Lord, it is our sincere desire to draw near to you today. Lord, we realize that this Christian life is a journey. And that while we desire for it to have an upward trajectory the entire distance, we realize that sometimes it is charted with declines and increases. And so, Lord, we just pray and ask that we would learn how to get back 
to you, that we would uh, understand that there are steps that we can take to draw near to you again when we've let some distance come in between us. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would help me to unfold this story of Jacob in a way that is accurate to Scripture, in a way that your Holy Spirit can use to give us instruction for our own spiritual lives. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Jacob is not a simple man. Uh, Bible commentators uh, alert us to this when you read about him. He is not a man whose life can be summed up in one word like Abraham. We would say Abraham was a man of faith. I mean, one word really encapsulates it. Or Joseph was a man of purity. Uh, Jacob cannot be explained in those simple of terms. Jacob is a man with two names. One he got from his earthly parents and one he got from his heavenly father. His name Jacob that he got from his earthly parents means supplanter. And uh, that's an old word we don't use much anymore, but it's the idea of a schemer, somebody who undermines or attempts to overthrow. The literal translation or the reason he got the name was because of, they called it heel snatcher. He was born with a twin brother Esau. Esau came out first, and as the Bible tells us, uh, Jacob came out holding on to Esau's heel. And that is really a picture of Jacob's relationship with Esau. He was always trying to overthrow him or trip him or take his place to supplant his place as the firstborn. Israel, on the other hand, is a name that God gave to him after a night of wrestling with him, and it means a prince with God or one who has power with God. I would say to you that it is the representative of the two natures of a believer. While this is literal and this is historical and Jacob was a man with two names, it is also indicative of what you and I experience as Christians that we are people with two natures. We have a fleshly nature that we receive from our earthly parents. It is the sinful proclivity that we come into this world with. And when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit of God that we receive from God. And it's a different nature. And the Apostle Paul talks about those in the New Testament, how that would they come into conflict. And just like Jacob was a wrestler and he wrestled with God over things, the same is true in our spiritual life. We wrestle between the flesh and the spirit. Just as Jacob struggled between his two identities, we struggle between our two natures. Our flesh desires one thing and our spirit desires another. If we're going to frame it in the context of our focus this year, our flesh desires to draw away from God. We don't want the closeness to God. We don't want the scrutiny of God. We don't want the narrowness of God's path. But our spirit longs for God and wants to draw near to God and, and understands that, that those rules and guidelines are for our benefit and for our blessing and it is a struggle it is a tension that you and I live with as long as we are on this earth for example in Jacob's life we find that at the end of Genesis 33 Jacob is focused on drawing near to God he has made his big return remember he ran away from Esau after he stole the blessing 
He goes to his uncle Laban's house. He gets married. He has children. He builds his business or his herd. He feels that God is leading him to go back to the promised land. And so he makes his return. And there's a lot of fear and uh, and trepidation about that because of facing Esau. And God sees him through. And so God delivers him and he gets back into that promised land. And he decides that he's going to draw near to God. And so at the end of Genesis 33, verse 20 says that Jacob erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. And so that's significant. He is building an altar like we saw Abraham building an altar. That altar is that consecrated place to God. It is that place of meeting with God. It is that place of sacrifice to God. And so Jacob says, hey, you know what? This family is going to be God-oriented. I'm going to be a God-oriented husband. I'm going to be a God-oriented father. I'm going to orient my life around God. And so he builds an altar and he calls it El Elohi Israel. And that means Elohim is the God of Israel. And at this time, you have to understand Israel is a personal name. It is not a national name. He's not saying God is the God of our country. He is saying God is the God of me and not some nebulous God, not some fill in the blank God of any religion. It is Elohim. It is the Hebrew God. It is the God who created heaven and earth. It is the God who called Abraham, Isaac and called Jacob. He is saying that God is my God. And so it's an indication that Jacob is drawing near to God. He wants to get closer to him. But as the narrative goes on in chapter 34, we find that that covers a period of time of about five to seven years. And in that time, we discover that Jacob and his family begin to drift away from God. Just to give you a little overview, a little insight, it begins by telling about his daughter Dinah and that she was out running around with the girls of the land. Now remember, those people in that promised land were not Jacob's people. They were the people that God had called them out of. And so he is not supposed to be, or his family is not supposed to be, having that type of relationship. And so we find it opening with her running around with the girls of the land, and then she gets it's romantically involved with a Gentile prince. And they don't follow God's protocol and they don't follow God's prescription as it's laid out there. And because of that, two of Jacob's sons get very upset. And if you remember the story, they are Levi and Simeon and they devise a scheme to get revenge for the dishonor that was done to their sister and the dishonor that was shown to their father. And they literally kill all the men of the city, and they show no remorse for their actions. When they are confronted by their father about it, they think that it is justified because of what that prince had done to their sister. And it is at that point that Jacob realizes that he needs to draw near to God again. And that's where we pick up in chapter 35 And what follows in chapter 35, I see five distinct steps taken by Jacob in drawing near to God. And so Jacob has met God. Jacob has had his life uh, intertwined with following God's plan. He's drawn near to God and been close to God. But now he's kind of drifted away from the Lord. And he's gotten to a point where he looks around at his family and he says, this is not good. 
I have not led my family the way I should lead my family. I've not been the father, the husband that I should have been taking care of their spiritual needs. And he realizes it's time to draw near to God again. And the question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? It's easy to, it's easy to let things go into decline, isn't it? You just have to stop maintaining them. You stop maintaining your car, it'll go into decline. Your house, whatever it may be. All you've got to do is just neglect it, not do anything to it. And, and the nature is to atrophy. The, uh, the nature is to decline. But to get it back takes some work. And sometimes we know we need to get back closer to God, but we just don't know where to start. How do we begin? Sometimes we look around and we say, there's no good place to start. How do I get back to God. And so five steps I see here, I call step number one, remember. Remember. Because God asked Jacob to remember his encounter from years before. Genesis 35, 1, God said to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee. Past tense, when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Step one in Jacob's return to God is that he has to remember where he was at, where he came from. You know, sadly, it's all too easy to forget just like it's easy to let something to decline by not doing anything, that's the natural progression. It is natural for you and I as human beings to forget the fervency, the joy, the, uh, the commitment that we had to God when he first saved us. The further we get away from that point, if we don't maintain, if we don't take care of that, it's easy for it to be diminished in our minds. In fact, the Apostle Paul was well aware of this. Uh, the Apostle Peter. And, and when he wrote his second epistle, he, he opened it by saying this. He said, give all diligence to add to your faith. Hey, you have faith. You've got the foundation. You've got salvation in Christ. Your eternity is secure. But that is something you're supposed to build on. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. And so he's saying, hey, look, you've got the gift of salvation. You've got the foundation. But my friend, if you want to enjoy it to its fullest, you've got to build on it. You've got to grow in your faith by adding these things. And then he goes on to say this warning. That if we neglect to maintain our relationship with the Lord by adding to our faith, that we can become blind, not able to see afar off. And he says these words, and that we can forget that we were purged from our old sins. Oh, it's not that we lose our salvation. It's not that the purging of our sins is overturned and we are found guilty. And it's that we forget what God did for us. We forget the impact that Christ made on our lives when we trusted him and he saved us and he freed us and he purged us. If we don't work and add to our faith and build our relationship, it's easy for us to forget. Perhaps that is why the Lord's prescription to the church at Ephesus in Revelation is to remember. Do you remember that first address that Jesus makes in Revelation 2 to the church at Ephesus? And he says, hey, you guys have done some good things and you still continue to do some good things. But I have something against you. You left your first love. 
You've left your first love. You, you've allowed your first love, the fire of your first love, to, to die down. And his prescription to the church at Ephesus, his prescription to the Christians at Ephesus, do you remember what it is? It starts with this word, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you are fallen and repent and do the first works. So I'm telling you, the first step in drawing near to God is to remember. Think back to when God saved you. Think about what your life was like. Think about the misery and the weight of your sin. Think about how dreadful it was, how it was tough for you to fall asleep at night, how that it weighed on your mind day after day. We start by remembering. Remember where you were when you met the Lord. For Jacob, it was in Bethel. That's why God calls him to go back there. Jacob, remember Bethel. Do you remember when you met me? Do you remember that location? Do you remember that sacred spot in your life? Remember what you were facing when the Lord saved you. For Jacob, he was facing the repercussions and the reckoning of his sins. It was Esau that he was facing. He had wronged Esau. He had lied. He had taken from him. And Esau was going to hold him accountable for that. And it was that penalty, that over-looming punishment that weighed upon him. Do you remember when you got saved the reality of the punishment of God that you were facing for your sins? That not only did you know that you were a sinner and your sin made you feel dreadful, you understood that a just and righteous God had to judge you for your sins. And that there was a payday that was coming. And if you were to stand before God, you would not pass the examination. Remember what the Lord did for you when he saved you. This is all encompassed in what God says to Jacob when he says, hey, go back to Bethel. Remember Bethel. And it was at Bethel where God forgave Jacob of his sins. Jacob, that old supplanter, has a conversion experience and becomes a prince with God. He becomes a son of God. And then God blesses him. If you look at the life of Jacob, it is the life of blessing. His father-in-law says, I know that God is with you. Because what you're doing is being blessed. And God made him a member of the covenant family. You see, just because God called Abraham and called Isaac did not mean it was a guarantee that Jacob was going to be called into the covenant family of God. Isaac had two sons, did he not? And one of them is the forerunner and the ancestor of Christ, and the other one is not. And so it was not a foregone conclusion. And so it was at Bethel that Jacob becomes a covenant member of the family of God. And I say to you, stop and take step one and remember when, where, and how God saved you. Go back and revisit that place in your mind. For me, I just celebrated 26 years of salvation this past week. I got saved on October the 13th, 1995. And when I first got saved, man, it was fresh. And I lived from that salvation experience. I'm telling you, October 14th, it was a new day. And October 13th was fresh in my mind. And the week after, and the month after, and the year after... But i got to tell you, 26 years later, that's a long ways back. 
And while I am eternally grateful to God, I also realize that in my flesh I have this tendency to forget just how desperate I was lost in my sin when God saved me. I've enjoyed the blessings of salvation so long that sometimes I take that for granted. And it's good for you and I to quiet ourselves down and just sit alone and think back. Remember, try to remember what life was like before you got saved. Remember the turmoil that you were going through. Remember the sin that you were wrestling with. Remember the agonizing thoughts that you had. and How sweet relief came when you surrendered to Christ. Now your life changed when you experience the relief of forgiveness and the membership in the family of God and the blessings that began to come after that. I'm telling you, if you want to get near to God, you start by remembering. Step two, repent. Step two is repent. Verses two through four is a picture of repentance. At the end of uh, verse 2, Jacob says to his family, Put away the strange gods. Be clean and change your garments. Repentance involves removing some things from your life. If you remember where you were and you're not in that same place, then repentance is the next step. I need to change my course I need to change my direction instead of heading away from that I need to head back to that and repentance is going to revolve remove involve removing some things from your life it is easy for us to accumulate things of the world in our life thinking and thoughts of the world the entrapments of the world they cling to us like static and we need to be rid of those we need to release those it, it involves getting rid of some things from your life, getting clean through confession. Jacob said to his family, cleanse yourself, be clean. How do you and I get clean? Well, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That repentance involves a conversation between you and God. And it involves you coming clean with God. And not you justifying what you did to God. Well, God, you know, it's been tough. Well, you know what my husband did. Well, you know what my wife did. Well, you know, no, repentance is just you and God. And she's saying, God, I, I did this. I have allowed this. I have accepted this. And I was wrong. And I confess it to you. And I ask you to forgive me. You know what the good news is? God has guaranteed his forgiveness. He has ensured his cleansing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then repentance involves having an outward appearance of change. It's interesting I don't know what they're wearing, but Jacob said, you got to change your clothes. All y'all, right? All y'all. It wasn't just, you know, uh, the, the little dirty kid. It was the whole family, whatever it was. And, and I, I, I know some preachers that might take liberties to give you a set of dress standards based on that verse. But there's none involved in there. I'm just telling you, they had to change. There was some outward appearance of change. 
And while repentance is an internal disposition, it is something that happens internally between you and God, the outcome of repentance is going to be evidenced some way in your life. You cannot genuinely repent without it showing up on the outside somewhere. Whether that is how you think, how you act, how you respond, how you forgive, how you dress, or how you, uh, places you frequent. It, it may be different depending on what your sin is, but if you repent, there's going to be some outward evidence of change. By the way, unless you think I'm overboard on this repentance thing, I would remind you that it was part of Christ's prescription to the church at Ephesus, wasn't it? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. In fact... Sweet Jesus told five out of the seven churches in Revelation to repent. I'd say there's a good chance that churches need to repent today. I'd say the odds are that there's a number of Christians who need to repent today. Repentance is not getting saved again. Repentance is not saying that you have turned into an atheist or an agnostic or that you have denounced God. It is simply recognizing that we've drifted away and we need to make a U-turn. And it's something that probably needs to happen on a semi-regular basis in the life of the average Christian. But what do we do with all those old things? What do we do with them? I think this is so interesting, and I, I'd like to spend more time on it, but I can't. But Jacob took all their stuff and buried it under a tree. Why are we told of that landmark, the tree? And the only explanation I can give you is that when we repent and we're trying to get rid of all that old stuff, that paraphernalia, we just bury it under the tree, the tree that Jesus died on. As the song says, Calvary covers it all. My sin and despair I left with him there. Because Calvary covers it all. What is repentance? It's going back to the cross. It is getting back to that place where you realize that you were a sinner and that your sins had been paid for in Christ and that you could lay that burden of sin down and Jesus would take it for you and you could walk away as a new man or a new woman. Oh, we need to be repentant. Number three, step three, return. In verses 5 and 6, they make the journey back. And by the way, Jacob leads his family to return to Beth-El. And I say to you that if we're going to draw near to God, we need to get back to the place where we were once in fellowship with God. Where was that place when you were in fellowship with God? Where was that place where you were in the sweet solitude of the Lord? Where was that place where you were enjoying being in obedience to God? Where is that place in your life? That's what you need to head back to for Jacob it was a journey fraught with challenges right because as chapter 34 ends Jacob is scared to death because his sons just wiped out one of the men in a village and he's worried that the other people are going to rise up against his little family and they're going to wipe them out which they could have the manpower was there to do it and so for him, leaving that place was not a guarantee that he would make it back to Bethel. He was worried about ambushment and he was worried about what he might face and the attacks that might come. Sometimes making your way back to God is an intimidating process. 
Sometimes you get yourself to a place in life where you say, I, I want to go back to God and I remember what it was like and, and I know where I was, but, but I don't know that I can get free from all of these entanglements that have gotten in my life. And, and, and what if this happens and that happens and I've got to face this person and that person? But the good news is that God will expedite the journey for you like he did for Jacob. You know, the Bible takes the time to tell us that nobody attacked him. That God made the way for Jacob to return without being accosted. And the same is true for you and I. It is the James 4, 8 principle, is it not? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. If you make that decision, you remember, you repent, and you decide to return, God will expedite your journey. Yes, there are some challenges that you're going to have to face, but if you take that step towards him, he'll take that step towards you. And he'll make it easy to return. Jacob went to the house of God. Remember last week we talked about that place Bethel. It was mentioned in the life of Abraham. We said that it meant house of God. Beth means house. El means Elohim. It was the house of God. Jacob went to the house of God because he knew he would find God there. And I would say to you, friends, that the church ought to be part of your return to God. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, right? You in the church today. So let's, let me get back in frame and preach to the people on Facebook who are not in church today. You say, I want to get back to God. I want to draw near to God. Well, let me tell you something. This is the house of God. And this isn't the only house of God. There's a house of God near you. It is the local church. And God has dispersed it all around the world so that you and I, if we want to get near to God, we can say, hey, I know a place where God meets with his people. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to get in on it. Jacob took the lead in returning to God. He didn't wait for somebody else to blaze the trail for him or to go first. And you and I got to do the same thing. We can't wait for somebody else to get up and come to the altar. I always thought that was interesting at evangelistic crusades that they would have people in the audience that their one job was to get up during the invitation and be first. Now, I understand what they were doing, and they were doing everything possible to try to get other people to, to respond to the Lord. Let me tell you something. It shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't have to follow somebody back to the Lord. You ought to take the step yourself. Whether anybody else goes with you or not, whether anybody else goes before you or not, whether anybody else comes after you or not, if you know that you need to draw near to God, you just need to step out and do it. And by the way, here at Cedar Bluff, if you take the first step, gravity and the Holy Ghost will do the rest, bring you on down here to the altar. Step four, rebuild. Rebuild. As we think about what's going on in verses 7 through 13, seven states that Jacob built an altar there. But can I tell you, he's actually rebuilding the altar because if we were to go back, we'd find that Jacob built the first altar in that place many years before, as recorded in Genesis 28, uh, verses 16 through 22. And so Jacob is rebuilding. It's not his first altar in that place. It's the altar that has went into decline. It's the altar that has been knocked down. It is the altar that has uh, decayed with age. And Jacob goes back and he rebuilds the altar. The altar is that sacred place with God. The altar was not just a place for animal sacrifice. 
Remember, the altar was that place where you met with God. It was that place that you carved out in your life and you said, this is God's. And I'm going to meet with God here. I'm going to worship God here. I'm going to sacrifice to God here. And anything I put here, it belongs to God. And the New Testament tells us that, that we no longer offer dead sacrifices, but we're supposed to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. There ought to be this altar in your life, this place where God resides, this place where you meet with God and you go to God and you spend time with God in that sacred place. Not only did Jacob rebuild the altar, but Jacob restored God to first place in his life. It's such a a neat little vocabulary uh, nuance here, but it's worth us paying attention to. In verse 7, it says, And he built there an altar and called the place El Beth El. El Beth El. It sounds a little redundant, doesn't it? It sounds redundant because the prefix is the same as the suffix. The prefix is El, the suffix is El. We already know that he named the place Bethel, Beth being house, El being God, house of God. Now when he comes back and he rebuilds the altar, he restores God to first place and he says, hey, it's not just the house of God, it's the God of the house of God. And by the way, sitting in a church doesn't make you any more spiritual than sitting in a garage makes you a Mustang. You have to put God first. And so Jacob coming back said, hey, look, I'm not just going to go through a routine. I'm just going to uphold a tradition. I want to make sure that God has first place again. It's going to be the God of the house of God. And then Jacob refocused on the word of God. What we have in those verses 7 through 13 is a conversation between God and Jacob. And in part of it, God is reminding Jacob of his previous revelations. Hey, remember when you were running from Esau and you met me and I I did this? And remember when you were coming back to Esau and you met me and I did this? And now you are here and I want you to do this. You see, God spoke to Jacob reminding Jacob of what he had said previously and speaking to him currently. And I'm telling you, the Word of God had a transformative power in Jacob's life. What was it that transformed Jacob's life? Well, it was that God spoke to him and he says, I'm not going to call you Jacob anymore. Now I'm going to call you Israel because you are a prince with me. You are part of the covenant family. And I'm going to make out of you a nation. I'm going to make a company of nations out of your sons. Hey, that transformed Jacob's life. And the Word of God will transform your life and my life if we will refocus on it. And I guarantee you, if you've gotten away from God, you've gotten away from this. This has been a neglected habit in your life. Spending time in God's Word, reading on it, meditating it, memorizing it, singing it, whatever interaction you used to have with God's Word, it's not as frequent or intimate as it used to be if you've drifted. And you've got to come back and you've got to refocus on the word. And you've got to say, hey, this is the bread of life. This is the water of the Lord. Uh, this is the, 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 uh, the hammer that breaks up the stony parts of my heart. This is the seed that produces fruit in my life. This is my lifeline. I cannot live without this. And then the fifth and final step is to rededicate. 
Look with me, if you would, at verses 14 and 15. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Beth-el. After Jacob talks with God, he pours oil on the altar, and he calls the place Beth-el. Did you notice that? Specifically, detailed for you and I and it strikes me that Jacob did the exact same thing the first time he encountered God in this place if you and I were to go back to Genesis 28 verses 18 and 19 we would find that after Jacob slept in that place and he had this vision that there was a ladder set up between heaven and earth and the angels of God were ascending and descending. He said, surely God is in this place and God, if you bless me and what I do, I will give you a tenth of everything that you give to me. And he built him a pillar of stone and the Bible says that he poured oil on it and he called the name of the place Beth-el. Now I know Jacob's gotten old, but he's not senile. And he's not forgotten that he's done this before. What Jacob is doing in Genesis 35 is rededicating his life to God. He's saying, hey, I, I, I know I did this before, but I've gotten away from this. And so I'm just going to rededicate it right here. I'm going to rebuild that pillar of stone. I'm going to re-anoint it with oil. And I'm going to rename this place Bethel. I'm going to rededicate myself to God. And I'm telling you, those are the five steps. If you want to draw near to God again, if you sense in your life that, that you're, uh, you're inches or miles away from God and you say, I want to get closer, I'm telling you, follow Jacob's footsteps. Perhaps that's what we need today. You may be saved, but you've drifted away from God. Remember. Remember back to when God saved you. Repent of your sins and rededicate your life to God at the altar. That's the action that he wants us to take. Not only is this a story of Jacob drawing near to God, but don't forget this is a story of God drawing near to Jacob. It was God that called out to Jacob, Jacob, arise! And come back to Beth-el. God desires to be close. No matter how far you've drifted. No matter how bad it is. Right? I'm telling you, Jacob's family was a mess. When you read Genesis 34 and what Dinah did and what Simeon and Levi did, I scratched my head and said, how did those kids do that? And God didn't say, you've blown it, Jacob. You're done for. I won't do anything with you. I'm changing my mind on this. He says, I want you. And I want you to come near again. Because the entire Bible is the story of the recovery of fallen man. God loves you and God pursues you and he wants you to be near to him. And he's made it easy for you and I to draw near to him again and again and again. Would you bow with me? Maybe you're here today and you just want to draw near to God. You're not... You're not confessing to the whole church that you've become the worst Christian or that you're miles away from God, but you just know in your heart you want to be nearer. Everybody in this room would celebrate that. And so if that's your heart today, if that's your desire today, we're going to have an invitation time as we sing, and I want to invite you to come to the altar. Just reflect on what God did for you. Recommit your life to him today. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow the steps of Jacob in our return to you. Lord, that we might enjoy being uh, refreshed in our faith. 
rededicating our lives to you, restarting this whole journey again. Oh Lord, we are so thankful that you make it possible for us and that you invite us and you clear the path for us and that as we draw near to you, you close the gap and you draw near to us. Lord, may some people draw near today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.